Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'll be your guest host today, Stephanie Wedgworth. I'm the Hyundai product trainer in the Southern region for GP Strategies. And joining me today is the newly appointed Vice President of Diversity and Engagement for GP Strategies, Adrian McClellan. And we also have Maurice Bembry, an auto, automotive product trainer responsible for facilitating training and improving sales consultant performance. Welcome, Adrian and Maurice, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Stephanie, and I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. So it is truly a pleasure to have you both here and have this opportunity to speak with both of you, especially during Black History Month. So again, thank you so very much for your time and for being here today. So we're going to spend our time together discussing the significance and importance of Black History Month. And we're also gonna have an open and honest conversation about this year's theme, the Black family, representation, identity, and diversity. So. Before we get started, I'm going to have to go ahead and start off with a confession. I didn't know Black History Month had a theme every year. Did you guys know that? I did not until last year. Okay. And and, and likewise, I was not aware of that either, Stephanie. Okay, good. Okay, good. (laughs) I felt like I was very alone on that. And I did not know that every year the theme is different. So just to give ourselves and our listeners a little bit of history, Carter G. Woodson uh, was the first to establish the Negro History Week in 1926. He created these themes to focus the attention of the public. And ever since 1928, these themes reflect changes in how people of African descent in the United States have viewed themselves, the influence of social movements on racial ideologies and the aspirations of the black community. Now that we all know that, and I got that confession out of the way, I feel so much better now. (laughs) So this year's theme, like I had mentioned earlier, is the black family. Representation, identity, and diversity of the Black family has been depicted in so many different ways. The Black family has been the topic in everything from visual arts to film to literature and even social policy. It's been stereotyped, it's been vilified. It's a very complex subject matter. So let me ask you two this question. When you think of positive or good representations of the Black family, what immediately comes to mind? I'll start with you, Maurice. Being that I am right after the millennial or right before the millennial age, watched a lot of cartoons and a lot of television shows and a great representation would have been the Cosby family and family matters and how the father and the mother would always be involved in each and every sibling's life. That's exactly where my mind goes to is television. I go to TV shows and the very first one that popped into my mind was the Cosby (laughs) show as well. And I thought of 227. There's so many different um, TV shows that I could name off. Adrian, how do you view uh, good representations of the black family? 
Yeah, clearly the the Cosby show is, is one of the more popular representations. I, I grew up in the 60s. I was born in the 60s, so I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And there were different views of the black family in my in my life and in my culture as a as a product of a single parent home. Watching my mother raise raise my three siblings and myself, it, I had a much different impression of what the black family looked like as I grew up than what I was seeing on television. Technically, Mike, when you look at the Cosbys and when you see the Cosbys, it's very aspirational. Who wouldn't want to have a, a doctor as a, as a parent and a lawyer as a parent? But I'm not certain how real that really is when you look at overall the black culture and really where we are. I think it's, as we progress today, I think those images are much different today than what they may have been when I was born and when I grew up. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say that. I remember when the Cosby show was at the height of its popularity. I believe they did a special, and I can't remember if I was watching Dateline or some news outlet, and they were interviewing people and asking them what their views were of the Cosby show. And a lot of people were saying they exactly what you just said, is they didn't think it was realistic, which was really eye-opening to me because my family was very similar to the Cosby show. We weren't as affluent as they were, but our, our dynamic of our family was set up very similar to that. So I thought that was very interesting. That's what a lot of people were feeling. So let me ask well, Ruth. Go ahead. I'm I was right. going to say, Stephanie, if you even go further back, there was a show called Good Times. Yes. Which, which I watched a lot when I was growing up. And I think it also had a special appeal to, to, to the black community. And it just, I really do think it's about how times change and evolve, right? The Cosby was many years after good times. Yeah. And it came in a different period in, in the consciousness of our, of our country. And so I, I think that both of those are, are representations of a period in time. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I think about like All in the Family, Good Times, the Jeffersons, like it was a completely different year. And then it, like you said, as time went on, the shows changed and, and evolved. That's why I enjoyed Family Matters because it was a little bit more down to earth to the families that mattered in the 90s where the father was a police uh, officer and then the mother, she was like an elevator operator. Right, yeah. And they were still able to have that type of family and love that should be represented in some families. Yeah. So let me ask you both this. What about negative representations? What mm. comes to mind when you think of negative representations? I'll start with you, Adrian. I, I think in some cases, some of the same, I brought up good times a second ago, and the representation there was that, that all black families, we, we all live in the projects. And that simply is, is not, the, it was not the case then, it's not the case now. So I think there are a number of examples in which you say to yourself, is this a really accurate representation of the black experience of the black community? On, on either side, there are some that are really overly exaggerated and there are some that may not be as, as applicable as the show would have you believe. Yeah. And Maurice, what do you think of when you think of negative representations? If I stick with the understanding of what the television and has influenced in most families or at least reflected to other families. There's a show or a cartoon, better yet, or animation would be called The Boondocks. Mm -hmm. And that did a misrepresentation to me, the black family. But yet it did show some rough urban areas of where the children are coming from. But uh, at the same time, I still thought it was a misrepresentation for those who are really trying to be successful in their lives. Yeah, yeah. So it, it really is interesting that it seems like media has a huge 
profound effect on how people think about the black family. That's stereotypic. Yep. Yeah. Would, would yeah. Completely agree with that. I, I you know my son, my sons are adults now, but they watch a lot of family guy. <laughs> Yeah, and there's characters on that are just completely stereotypical. Every stereotypical approach you can think of. And one particular, I have a black character that is exactly what Maurice just talked about, and we've been just stereotyping in a way that really isn't indicative of what the true, true black experience is. Mm. So let's talk about that then. Like, this is a, a great conversation that very easily leads us into why. Black History Month is so important and significant. So when I think about Black History Month, for me, what makes it important and significant is it brings about attention and emphasis to historical issues that are important, race relations, social movements and their significance, the aspirations of the Black community, and really just an exploration of the overall Black experience. For Black History Month, being important to you personally and professionally. I'll start with uh, you, Adrian. What does it mean to you, the importance of Black History Month, both personally and professionally? Stephanie, it's interesting. I, I think at various stages within my life, Black History Month has taken on different meaning. When I was younger, we'd go to school, we'd learn about you know historical Black figures, Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass. And we really, the intent with that was to really have us as students, young students, really appreciate our culture and where we came from in the history. And as I've gotten, as I got older and moved into my 20s and 30s, I, I really viewed it differently. It wasn't something that I felt deeply connected to in those years. But then as I progress and become older, have children, young black sons, and if I've, my career has progressed, it really has taken on a completely different meaning to me. I, I think Black History Month uh, is an opportunity for us to really not only to, as a backward look, but also to acknowledge the struggle that we continue to have. It, there's no end point there. Within the last several years, last year in particular, we all have witnessed the social injustices that, that we have been exposed to and continue to be exposed to. And I think as I get older, that becomes more and more important to me. And it becomes more and more important to me as to, okay, what can I do, even even in my, my little circle, my little community? And then how can I help, you know, how can I help people that I work with? How can I be an example? How can I help professionally to advance our causes? And so I think that over the years, I'm 55 years old, and over these years, I think my my interpretation, my understanding, and, and, and my feelings about Black History Month have changed significantly. That makes perfect sense. I would have to agree with that as well, which is partially the reason I didn't know about the themes. <laughs> I'm still stuck on that. <laughs> Maurice, what about you? What does Black History Month mean to you, both personally and professionally? Personally, I've realized when I was a kid, I thought I was brainwashed into understanding the historical figures of the civil rights movement and then Black athletes. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, just as Adrian mentioned, but then as I became to understand as an adult, and then my mind is a little bit more open than others. I started really digging deeper into the slave Atlantic trade and where everyone was going versus just to North America and realizing that black folks were being traveled all over the world. So I wanted to know more about the cultures of where they were coming from. Personally, the black Hispanics or the Portugal and Ireland and all those other folks that have been traded over to other countries. So I wanted to learn more about their movement and struggles. And that's a personal experience for me to really go through that and just dig into it. 
like in Cuba and things like that. But, uh, and then professionally, I find it using that same understanding to have an open dialogue with other people and other cultures and to really listen to where they're coming from on, in their heritage and then their values professionally. When we go out to dealerships and listening to how they communicate with other people, because a lot of my, my, my entire role is communication. And so if I really think in the essence of it, to communicate with different sales consultants and uh, managers and seeing where they're coming from and their backgrounds helps me understand a little bit more about the history of where they're coming from and then and comparing it to mine and trying to come up with a good solution to communicate with one another effectively. It's really interesting how everybody seems to agree that your appreciation for Black History Month and your awareness and your how it affects you and how it me what it means to you changes and evolves as you change and evolve, which makes sense. It makes total sense. So it's almost like a, this this transition that you go through, not just personally but professionally as well. So as the vice president of diversity and engagement, Adrian, you certainly have a big job, uh, a very important job. How would you say organizations drive inclusion and diversity for black employees? That's a challenge. I, I think it continues to be a challenge because organizations and GP is, is, is no different really struggle with this topic because it's not a topic, it's not an area that's been given a lot of attention over the years. I think companies and what's with the social justice activities that have happened over the last couple of years, I think companies are being forced to really examine this. I think, the, from my perspective, one of the biggest things that companies can do to really address this is to have more more inclusive practices. There are a couple of things that we always talk about the numbers, right? Everybody wants, when we talk about diversity, whether it's affirmative action or other types of programs to increase the numbers, we got to have more black people working for us. We just got to have more black people working for us. And I think that's only part of the problem. That's only part of the solution, I'd just say. I think you could have a really diverse organization and have it not be inclusive. And, and the way I look at inclusivity is that everybody has a voice. Not only do you want to have you want to have representative numbers, but you also want to have policies and practices in place that provides all employees a voice, whether it's practices around recruiting and hiring, where there's transparent promotional practices, where there's practices around how projects are assigned. I think the most important thing as equally, the numbers are important, don't, don't get me wrong, but I think as important, if not equally important, is the inclusion. Making sure people have a means of one, bringing them whole selves to work, but two, being involved in, in, in the process and having our voice be heard uh, and acted upon. Yeah, that's incredibly important. And, and I, I love the point that you made that numbers is great. And that is definitely part of the goal. But also the other goal is to let everybody have a voice and feel in, included. And so, Maurice, how... Could yeah, I, Could I jump into that conversation before we move on with that? Please, please. Because that reminds me of the fight for the 14th Amendment, man, with civil war and how... We wanted the South wanted the numbers and the North wanted the numbers to beat one another. And so one didn't want slaves to be a part of the army. And others said, you know what, why wouldn't it hurt for the numbers? But then after that, it was like, what are we going to do with these guys? And they fall for us. And now it's like there's an, there has to be an intent for them now. They just can't just fall off to the side because that's what's going to happen with the professional world. With just having the numbers, they're just going to, without morale, they're just going to leave. That, that make perfect sense to me, Adrian. 
Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to just be a number and not be heard and not be made to feel like that's where you're supposed to be and that your opinion and voice is necessary and included and really an important and integral part of the organization. Maurice, how do you think we take the next steps to turn our aspiration into realization? I've had some good friends and great jobs, and this job isn't any different. However, some examples of what I've seen would be a caucus or some sort of get together, if you will, mm-hmm. at a nice place, a meeting point to discuss or have this same type of conversation, but with one another. So we can actually see uh, those faces that we are familiar with. Yeah, I love that. Almost like a think tank. Yeah, yeah. That's really um, interesting. And Stephanie, if you don't mind me adding, I can talk to, or at least there's few, there are a few things I think that are imper- important for us as an organization to move forward with. When I came into this role, and it was a role that was created, so it wasn't a template. It wasn't. A, I can. Look, I couldn't look back and and see how it was done last year because it it wasn't created. And one of the first things I felt I needed to do was in, increase our awareness. The fact that racial inequities exist, you know, within society. And I wanted to make sure that as an organization, part of my role was increasing the awareness, making the organization more aware and more sensitive to some of the issues and concerns that the minorities and underserved populations deal with on a on an all too frequent basis. So I think that's some of the, that's one of the steps that we take as, that we're going to be taking or we have taken as an organization is one. And our Black History Month celebration is, is really an example of that. This podcast, the communications we've we've shared throughout the organization over the course of the month is an example of us really trying to raise the awareness across the organization, not only for for our black employees, but for every employee. And that's just a small step that that I think we will continue to take to help us really move our culture in a, in a direction that values diversity and inclusion much more. That's great to hear. Adrian, I absolutely agree with you. Raising awareness is is definitely key. And do you think it's possible to move the needle in diversity, equity, and inclusion without conscious inclusion, like being aware of your own unconscious biases and consciously change your behaviors to be more inclusive? I, I personally don't think so. Because I think unconscious bias is such a is such an element of everyone's thinking, and oftentimes the results of that lead to unfair practices. Mm-hmm. So we're all biased. No, no mm-hmm. one wants. No one looks in the mirror and sees. Oh, I guess I'm a racist. I'm gonna be biased today. A lot of this is unconscious, and, and, it, and we're based on our experiences. You know, our life experiences lead us to think a certain way. The challenge with that is that thinking of it a certain way may you know prevent you from being able to see see the whole person or the whole individual. So I really do think that organizations, and there's data out there to support this, and organizations that really have moved the mark have taken a significant step toward addressing the unconscious bias issue. Mm-hmm. I think Boeing is a great example of that, of how they get together and they address different issues without, with, without any bias. Yeah, and it's a challenge, right? Like I said, no one inherently thinks that they're biased. We all think that we're fair, we're equitable, but there's often we're not. And and, it's, and we don't even know it. And that's the issue, right? That's the concern that we're being biased in ways that we're not even aware of having impact. And Adrian, I, I totally agree, man. And I think that's where effective communication comes into mind is how do we ask the right questions versus always explaining something because i think the further you explain something i think that's where that subconscious comes out of being biased where if you're just listening sometimes helps with breaking those barriers down 
Yeah. And Maurice, you brought up a good point earlier when you were talking about having think tanks or, or groups that get together that kind of even address some of this unconscious biases. So Adrian, is that something that leadership would need to do, or is this, can you, maybe this is a better question. Can you share with us some of the internal efforts that GP Strategies is taking and steps to measure how or what actions need to be taken to have an impact? The IDEA Council is really working on creating a training objectives, you know, for the organization, but primarily for our, our senior leadership. We have an internal suite of DEI courses that we deliver to our customers. And we are really looking at how do we deploy those those suite of courses to all of our you know vice presidents and above because i truly believe that any sustainable effort in the, in the way of diversity equity and inclusion has to be led by our senior leaders they they have to not only you know walk the walk they got to talk the talk and they got to walk the walk otherwise it's, it just won't be effective we can't we can't say for for the organization broadly we want them to do this but our leaders aren't exhibiting the proper behaviors it, it'll never be effective so that's one of the first things that we're working on to try to get deployed sometime this year is to get our leaders, all of our leaders from our president on down to, to the, the last VP that was promoted and get all of those folks through this suite of training courses first and then really get their impact and then ultimately cascade those down to further managers. Right? Maybe not every manager is going to take every course our senior leader took, but we believe that like unconscious bias, for instance, is something that every manager, if you manage people in this company, you probably should go through some training on that and also training on how to have some uncomfortable conversation. What we know for a fact is that in our company, not only GP, but other companies, race is a a tough issue, right? People just don't know how to have the conversation in a way they're either afraid of saying something inappropriate. They're afraid of, you know, being misinterpreted. All these reasons are, are out there for us avoiding to have the tough conversation. And I think we have to provide our leaders with the, the proper tools and our managers with the necessary tools so that they can have these conversations in a meaningful way that provides a value to both that manager as well as to that employee. I'm happy to hear that, Adrian, because it's really important that that type of management or levels and corporate has to go through certain trainings because if you're at that top league, some people think that they may not have the time or need to supplement the time for that type of training. And then that's where that bias starts coming in and dwelling in somewhere in between there. And I'm glad to hear that upper level managements are, you know, working, are going to be doing that. And I will say that our president, Adam Stedham, has been, has been extremely supportive. He, the creation of Idea Council was, was a thought by Adam. He felt that my position was needed. He created it. I think one thing I can say without any reservation is that our president is really behind these efforts. And I think as a result of that, I think he will be able to influence his leadership team to take a more you know, aggressive approach to this in ways that we never would have done in years past. That is really promising to hear and leaves a lot of hope and aspirations for the future. I, I do know that one wonderful thing that has been done at GP Strategies is we established employee resource groups, which are voluntary employee-led meetings for people with common backgrounds to get together and support one another. I've had the distinct honor to be the host of our Black Plus Allies ERP. Yes. <laughs> Go, Stephanie. 
<laughs> and it's been it's been quite a pleasure. We also have two other groups that we formed, Women's Plus Allies and our LGBTQ Plus Allies. We have our meetings every month on Thursday. And everyone and anyone who'd like to learn, network, socialize, or raise their awareness is always welcome to join us. So that's been a wonderful addition to the GP Strategies goal for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So Adrian, I know that you started in January in this brand new position, like you mentioned, no, no, no book, no guidance, <laughs> nothing right. to follow. So you, you're about two months in, and I'm sure you've got You've shared with us already some of your hopes and goals for your department. And let me ask you this question. How do you plan to hold people accountable to meet those goals? That's an interesting question. And I, I think about that often. I, I think ultimately uh, the accountability lever that can be pulled will be pulled by our president being behind our activities and then cascading, cascading objectives down to his team, measurable objectives in a way that says, okay, here's what I expect of you. And then part of that are DE&I goals as well. There are a couple of things that, so that's more broadly for, you know, the executive leadership team. I also think that that I have measures, I have goals that are, that essentially my performance-based objectives around measurable things. The percentage of employees that are from underserved, you know, communities, underserved areas, women, people of color, and other other serve organization, are we hiring more? So that's one, and that goes to the numbers that I talked about before. But one of the things that's more important to me, or is as important, is what are our guidelines or what are we doing around increasing the inclusivity of our employees within the company? And so I've worked with my with my boss, who who's the senior VP of HR, to really identify some goals around around how we're going to measure some of these things. I've said this before, Stephanie. I've told my boss, I said, Black History Month and increasing awareness is really important. And I think that's an, a critical aspect of us changing the culture. But I think it's equally important, if not more important, is what are those policies and procedural things that we're going to do uh, to ensure that you know, every employee has a fair and equitable chance to be their best, to be their best selves. Revising our policies to make sure that they're fair and equitable. Having transparent promotion practices so that everybody knows this is what it takes for me to get to my next step. Really working on, on, on the infrastructure in our company such that when projects come, when great projects come available, a lot of people know about them so that they can, they can voice their, you know, the desire to be involved. Now, those are all structural things that don't happen overnight, but I think they're incredibly important. And, and that's really what, in addition to the awareness campaign and the training campaign, I think ultimately we need to, we need to put systems in place that allow everyone to, to be included and that are fair and equitable. And that's the challenge only because those things never happen overnight. One of my goals was to review all of our, all of our corporate policies and make sure they're fair and equitable. We, as you might imagine, that's a big lift. And we're not only talking about here in the U.S., right, because we operate around the globe and the requirements mm -hmm. are different, you know. What's fair and equitable in the U.S. may be different in China, which may be different in India, which may be different in Australia. Mm -hmm. So as you might imagine, it's a complex task, but it's a task that I think ultimately needs to be done. Wow, you have a very big job. Adrian, I have a question. Yes, go ahead, Maurice. In your role, how do you separate employee social or economical issues with the profession of their job, such as moving up in the company, but because of 
COVID or unproportionate numbers in certain communities are not allowed to get vaccinated so they can't travel to this or that or because of this job or, or something where it could hinder the job. How do you separate that or how do you blend that in in that diversity of the job? That, that's a good question and it's a challenging question. I think my focus is always on what is fair and what is equitable. And because I think most of us realize that, right? I think most reasonable people can look at something and say, that's fair. Uh, and I think that it's important that, that, that people have, that have access to things. One of the things, and I've been with GP for a very long time, over 20 years. And, and back when I joined, projects were assigned to people just based on who you knew. If I, you know, if I was friends with, with a director, if I was friends with a particular manager and they had projects, then I, I, you know, I had opportunity. One might look at that and say, and I look at it today. And, I, and even today, many years later, I look back and say, that's not fair. That because I who I knew I was able. Now we all know that's part of life, and it, and it's probably it very well may be a part of GP today in different regards. But I think that those are the kind of things that I think we have to address in a way that that allows all of our employees to have the same opportunity. The, a couple of the aspects that you talked about, especially outside the company, like saying you know, people that don't get vac- vaccinated can't travel, and, and that limits their opportunities and those kinds of things. I, I think those are things we will continue to have to have to address. I don't have an answer for him today, but I do think it, it's something. I think if our approach is always to be as fair as we can, as equitable we can to all of our employees, I think that's always a good place to start. Yeah, so, I think we can all agree that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a huge role, and it plays an integral part in how companies can be profitable, how making people feel included and important is absolutely important and it's a huge job and there's a lot of aspects and complexities to to figure out to make it all work and come together thank you maurice that was some great questions thank you adrian for sharing with us the goals of your department i'm sure our listeners are feeling very hopeful and excited about what's coming what's there to come so as we near the end of our time today and close in on the final days of Black History Month, I just wanted to share a couple final thoughts, and I'm sure you would both agree with this. One thing that I feel is very important now more than ever is continuing these conversations, the education, the celebrations, and making intentional efforts to diversify your life, your friends, your workplace. It doesn't stop when Black History Month ends. I challenge people to ask themselves difficult questions. Do you have more than one or two Black friends? If you're a leader, do you have Blacks in your senior management positions? Are you using Black suppliers? Do you understand Black people or do you just understand stereotypes of Black people? Do your children have Black friends? Do they know Black history? I truly would like people to take a personal responsibility and get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And Adrian, you even mentioned that. And that that is truly how you grow. Keeping the momentum going, don't stop learning, don't stop listening, elevating and educating on Black history. Turn your talk into action. Words are just not enough. There's still a lot of work as we've just you know discovered that still needs to be done. Diversity, equity, inclusion is a huge task. And we can all get there by moving forward together. 
I want to thank you, Adrian McClellan and Maurice Bembry, for sharing your open and honest thoughts today. I really appreciate your time, your transparency, and lending your voice. And for everyone listening today, I would like to thank you as well. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.